Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. The, the Terragatha and the Terragatha are preserved poems of the ancient monks and nuns. Uh, altogether, there's about 350 of them. I've restored a, 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 some of them, not, uh, not all that many. Um, but what is interesting is these are all poems from, uh, again, the awakened monks and nuns that are uh, snopsizing their practice in, in poetry form. Uh, so this Yasadatta is talking about uh, uh, or recounting how important it was for him to understand and abandon argument, which was just as common during the Buddhist time as it is today, meaning people get a, a so-called spiritual idea or concept into their in their minds, and because they've now associated with it, or they're associated with people that are engaged in that practice, that you use that for argument against the Dhammas. Because, well, I, I like it, I do it, or a lot of people I know do it, or a lot of you know, a famous or charismatic teacher talks about it, so let's do it. And the, and the Buddha or Yasadatta is teaching that the argument is what keeps you away from the Dhamma. Let go of the argument and just practice the Dhamma, because that's the only way you can know. And, and that's reflected in the way I teach and there other, our other teachers teach. It's not that we're trying to be exclusive, it's because we understand what Yasadatta is uh, relating here. So, the um, Yasadatta, hearing true Dhamma. Intent on trivial argument, trivial argument, dull and distracted, they hear the Buddha's teaching. They are as far from the true Dhamma as the ground is from the sky. Meaning, just the idea of thinking that it's useful to engage in debate is going to keep you from away from the Dhamma like the ground is from the sky. Intent on trivial, trivial argument, dull and distracted, they hear the Buddha's teaching. They fade from the true Dhamma like a waning room. And I see that uh, waning moon. And again, we all see that. Uh, those of us that have been practicing with me for a certain amount of time see that people come in and out all the time. And they like what they hear. Almost everyone who's attended a class said, wow, this is really great. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm so glad I found this, etc., etc." And as they start actually developing the Dhamma, they fade from it like a waning room, moon, really. I, I can see them slowly moving out of practice. And again, there's nothing that I can do. I'm not going to grasp after or cling to them except to keep talking about Ehepasiko. You have to see for yourself. But again, just as the Buddha predicted 2,600 years ago within his own Sangha, it happens with us. And it's just because of this, because they are intent on trivial argument. Meaning, well, my teacher said that we should bow a hundred times every day. Okay, but that's not what we teach here. So don't consider that part of your Dhamma practice. You can do it or anything else. If your teacher said that uh, football once a week is important. Then, and if you insist that football is part of your dharma practice, you're gazing in, you're you're clinging to these types of arguments. Intent on trivial argument, 
dull and distracted, they hear the Buddha's teaching. So again, just to comment on that, if we are engaged in trivial argument, the Buddha's teaching us, it is because we are dull and distracted. Dull and distracted, they hear the Buddha's teaching. They drain the true Dhamma like a fish with no water. So occasionally someone comes to class that is so intent on argument, and it just happened recently within our Sangha, you may or may have noticed it or not, I won't mention the person's name, but I asked them to leave when it became obvious that they are draining the true Dhamma. They're, they're simply sucking the life out of our Sangha by their constant argument. They do it like a fish with no water. Intent on trivial argument, dull and distracted, they hear the Buddha's teaching. They do not grow in the true Dhamma like a rotted seed. Again, there's, not, again, there's nothing we can do ab- about teaching a, a person the Dhamma if they are intent on argument and intent on clinging to it. But again, we've all seen that, that just because you're going through that process of recognizing and abandoning older practices, that's, that is part of Dhamma practice, and it should be encouraged to do that. But again, it takes um, a little bit of discernment from a teacher's standpoint to recognize when, that the difference between people developing the Dhamma and grasping after and clinging to their own fabrications and using that as argument against the Dhamma. But again, hopefully a, a, a teacher that is that understands the Dhamma uh, will see that and be able to guide committed students through that. It's just what we do. Those that do hear the Buddhist teachings with mindful intent, having abandoned greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, they realize the goal, free, peaceful, and totally unbound. So that last line is kind of a key to developing the Dhamma. If we are fully engaged with the Dhamma, we will. And if we're not, we won't. But there's a graduation or a gradual development of that commitment. And it's why I and all of our teachers encourage, keep coming, keep looking at the results rather than the 1% like Dev, Dev and I talked about earlier. And you will continue with your practice. It's up to us as practitioners, to become self-encouraging because we recognize the results and because we've now abandoned argument about why isn't the Dhamma this way or I heard this or I think it should be this or I found this valuable instead of recognizing that I come here full of ignorance rooted in fabrications and now I am eager or at least willing to let go of those fabrications, to look at them, recognize them and abandon them because I don't want to argue the true Dhamma anymore. So, uh, Dev, you were the first one in today. You're the best student of the day. Just kidding. <laughs> How are you, Dev? Good. What do you think of today's poem? Um, it sounds like, uh, like uh, the difference between uh, right intention and, and wrong intention. Yeah, that's and, right. Right, and, and uh, yeah, and and so you could you could experience how powerful being gently focused on the true Dhamma and not bringing an argument into it on our retreat, right? Because there there was none of that. We were just focused on just this Dhamma. We weren't. Yeah. We 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 very rarely, if ever, talked about anything else except that, including 
within the um, the the relative contextual mind of everyone on the Sangha as well. We weren't interested in debate, we were interested in experience. And that is why it was so powerful, you know? Yeah, yeah. I agree. Just being able to um, experience that. Yeah, you're, and if, um, yeah, the, the other thing is that if you're doing it with, with, uh, with the wrong intention, like you're describing someone um, trying to fill, uh, trying to fill, to fill like the need to, to argue, um, then there, you're not gonna, you're not gonna find any satisfaction in the, in, in, in the, in the practice. Yeah. And, and do you, do you remember who I, who I have, I just referenced that they became, they became a disturbance in the Sangha? Do you know who I was talking about? Who I am talking was, about? Was this a, a a woman a few weeks ago? No, no, no. Okay, this was someone who's no. been coming for years, and they gradually, but over they, they always argue with me, but in a very, very respectful way. And again, that's fine within the sangha. But they got to the point where they were arguing every almost every every phrase, sometimes even down to the word. Why don't you use yeah. this word instead of that? This word has more meaning. And they say, I like this word better here. Why don't you use it? And it really got to that point. And at that point, it was just like this. They were just arguing to argue, you know, to, to make a point that, yeah, well, I got this Dhamma practice. Why don't you practice it here? And yeah. because we don't. But they, they, it became obvious to me and the other teachers and other people in the Sangha that they were more interested in argument than developing the Dhamma. And so, you know, we, I asked them to leave. And then and we started introducing the the purpose statement and the the uh, the sangha guidelines more in response to oh, that as well. Right. Yeah. I I was curious about that 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 purpose statement. All of a sudden, yeah. I, I did I did miss that whatever that that was that was going on. Yeah, it was um, somewhat subtle, and you know, the, you might have missed it, but it, it was yeah. starting to impact the saga, so we ended it. You know, we we sure. solved the problem. But again, it was uh, within the Dhamma, you know, I explained to the person that this is where you're going off base, and, and they insisted that they were doing this for the Sangha, which, you know, they were trying to save, they were, what they were really saying, and they were, they were trying to save the Sangha from me and my evil teachings, but, you know, that, that's, that's what happens, and we dealt with it in a way that uh, I think was skillful, but... They also impacted a few other people that were regulars that left because <coughs> 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 because of the confusion that they brought into their minds, but that that this person brought. Anyway, that's 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 neither here nor there. It's just an example of this. So, uh, yeah, I, I I think uh, another example to contrast that because that that's an example of um, of a sort of a, a negative disturbance. Um, but like another uh, example would be, um, in the, the Buddha, I guess, uh, addressed this several times, uh, maybe people coming to the Sangha to sort of, um, enjoy the company. Yeah. You know, it's a social setting. Yeah, so right. what, one of the ways that we counter that is that we very rarely do we do anything in class 
besides have a class, have a brief chat, and leave. And, and that's by design, too. We don't have, you know, we don't have coffee and cake afterwards regularly. Uh, we don't get together before often. You know, we come to class, we have a class, and we leave. And that, again, by intent. Every now and then, we'll go out to dinner together or, or we're planning a picnic together. Those kinds of things. But those are uh, in addition to our regular Dhamma class, again, by design. Uh, over the years, we've had many, I've had people come and say, uh, I have a, a wonderful cappuccino maker. How about if I bring it in, I'll donate it, and we can have cappuccino before and after class. I said, I said it's a wonderful idea, but we're not here for cappuccino. We're here for Dhamma. And actually, the person that asked me that left because they were, they were just so in a huff that, you know, they, that I wouldn't let them contribute in their way, this is how they saw it, to the betterment of the Sangha by creating a social situation rather than a Dhamma class. Yeah. Which showed me and should have showed them you're looking for a social situation rather than a Dhamma class. But again, the structure also reveals what we're doing here, practicing the yeah. Dhamma. You know, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm also remembering uh, when we used to first uh, have a back and forth um, you were also contending with uh, my my instinct to sort of uh, argue argue points. You know, I, 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 I yeah, but you I were always looking at the Dhamma. You weren't trying to argue with me. You were just you were working through some confusion. That's and again, that's it's important to recognize that, yeah. and that is what we're here for. You know, mm-hmm. so. Uh, again, that that comes up a lot too. Let me see what Alex has to say. Hello, Alex. I'm glad you joined us. Hi, John. Hi. Is it Dev? Dev. I don't think I've Dev. Yeah, I think I've, I don't think I've actually seen you without uh, with your camera on before. So nice to meet you. Yeah. Um, you too. Uh, are, are you uh, are you uh, in UK? Yeah, I'm in London. Um, I just pulled over in the car. I was going to go home to catch the class and I thought I'd miss it so I just pulled over in the car you've got we've got modern technology these days so we can do this um yeah so I was reflecting just on your conversation really um it's really interesting I think like I'm going through some confusion or I have been and I question a lot and doubt a lot um, but like you said, I think that's different to coming with the intention to argue. Yes. Uh, I do remember the person I think you're talking about. Um, I, I believe, and he, from what I could see, had an, well, I think, I, I think there's obviously what, what gets me with Buddhism is I, like to spend time with people who follow this path whether they follow it in the way you teach it or not um Mm -hmm. i'd rather spend time with them (laughs) sometimes you know i'd rather spend time with them than someone who isn't on this path at all so i do get may may i interrupt you and ask why that is as opposed to say um uh watching a soccer match on on television or uh, going to a coffee shop and hanging out with uh, other people. I think I just feel more connected to someone who's been inspired by the, these teachings. What, and, you know, there are overlaps with your teachings and yeah. other groups. And ultimately, yeah, 
there's a lot of overlap. So I like to have these discussions, but I do find there's times when I feel I don't want to argue, but I want to question things. And I've seen it in Buddhist groups. I've seen, mm-hmm. you, I'm sure you've seen it. They argue, like you had it with this guy probably, is that you're both trying to follow Buddhism, <laughs> but you've, uh, you've misaligned. You're, you're seeing it differently. And I think it's a shame. I think ultimately people on this path are inspired by probably the same thing, same kind of things. And, you know, the world feels so disconnected to me. Um, it's a shame, you know, the old, the old cliche, that it's a shame we can't all come together and get along. <laughs> um, yeah. But I do understand, I understand the idea that, you know, the concept of a Sangha originally was to come together and study, develop the Dharma, not come together and have cappuccino. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in modern society... We like cappuccino, and <laughs> that's our—that's what we associate with coming together. And I think it's a very difficult. For me, I find it very difficult to choose a path. I like to be harmonious with everybody, and I know that's unrealistic, and it's something I need to look at in myself. Um, but I like to find some harmony. Let me let me cut you off again, Alex. I just want to because I want to make a point. So practicing this dharma exclusively does not make one disharmonious from anyone. In fact, it makes you always harmonious with everyone because you're simply not taking anything personally. I'll just use an example. We've had 14 retreats or 13 retreats. I can't remember the exact number up at one uh, Dharma center. And they practice a decidedly different form of Buddhism, more akin to modern Buddhism, meaning uh, they have their roots in a certain person who had his own kind of magical experiences. They incorporated a lot of Christianity because South Korea is also decidedly Christian. And they and they also say that we have formed our organization, very well funded by a South Korean billionaire, for the where all people can, all Buddhist practices can come together. And so, and they do this in a wonderfully a wonderful way up at the center there. All different people come in there. But we are the first and only group, and they've consistently said this to me and other people, and I know they don't do it to others, uh, that we are different, and they notice a difference. And we are, they say, we're we're calmer, we're practicing something. And over time, they've, they've noticed it to the point where a few retreats ago, it happened to be our 10th, they actually gave us a plaque commemorating what we're doing there. And they began, they gave me a great honor of inviting me to have our final meal at the head of Juan Dharma in the whole world a few classes ago, which was just an incredible honor. This, over the last five or six years, one of the ministers has joined us on our Saturday night social to the point now where he honored me in such a way that he took a special time away from his day just to spend time with me. And then they also made a point of saying that our, our group is different. They notice something different. And the only reason I'm saying this, Alex, is that we, we go into a place like that and what could have been creating a disharmonious situation by saying we're the greatest 
Dhamma, but we don't do that. We simply practice the Dhamma. And so they've come to us in that way. And Reverend Park, that minister's name, is just as much of our retreat Sangha as anybody else now, but he's, we're not, he doesn't engage in argument with us and we don't engage in argument with him. He's just a delightful yeah. person that enhances our, our retreats. But I'm, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I think it's, I, I agree with you. But if you were to spend quality time with this person and really want to get to know them, there would be conflict at, point, at times and you probably couldn't have a deeper relationship because... No, that's not true, yeah. Alex. I don't, he, he, he doesn't have, he knows that, he knows who I am and what I'm about. I know what he is and what he's about. And there's no, there is no conflict. He actually taught a class on our, we invited him to come in and just teach a class. And it had, it was entirely on his form of boot. And actually, when he teaches, he really, he teaches in, in fables, kind of. And then he relates it to a concept in his form of Buddhism. But because he is so delightful, it was meaningful to everyone because of his presence, not because of what he was teaching. So we can, we can be very harmonious with others without the need to practice what they, what they are teaching or think that we should. Okay, okay. Or to um, disagree, like you just accept, right? Yeah, I didn't, he, again, he taught something that was very disagreeable to what we teach. In a way, but it wasn't because it didn't have to be. You know, it was just what he taught and what he practiced. And in our in the setting, I wouldn't have never invited any other teacher to come and give a teaching. But because of his personal relationship with us, and we know who he is, it was meaningful. I um actually, I I I had a similar thought. Uh, that what you just said, Alex. Um, when I was when I was at the retreat, and just taking notice of um, how how well everyone was was getting along and how uh, meaningful the, rea- the 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 interactions that everyone was having with each other, and um, just sort of uh, realizing that that. Uh, it, 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 this was so because not because we were uh, necessarily trying to create that result, but rather it was it was the natural result of us trying to apply our dhamma practice. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. That yeah, that we're we're each in our own retreats. Um, trying to apply our Dhamma practice and that sort of lent itself um, for people to, to get along a lot better, you know, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I had, I, I had the thought that um, I wonder, I wonder if this sort of same uh, positive way that I'm interacting with this person, if this still would be true, if we were, Taken out of this situation. Well, I'm going to interrupt you, though. Again, excuse me for allowing me. Excuse me for interrupting you. We weren't in that situation. So the whole point was in that in that was the point of the situation. When we're deeply engaged in the Dhamma, this is what it's like, and 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 that's where we stop because that's all we want to know. Yeah. 
So again, I'm, I'm not I'm not interrupting you to, to beat you up. The next thought was a speculative thought. What if? Well, what if? There's no what if. There's just this. This is the experience. Anyway, so Alex, please continue. I interrupted you 18 times already. I'll let you go. No, I don't, I don't know. It's just that was really interesting because uh, I think it's probably... I kind of really wish Alex was there now that I'm meeting you. <laughs> he'll be he'll be there one of these days, I think. But yeah. I'm probably uh, revealing more about myself and how I struggle to accept others if they've got different views to me. I think, like I think you mentioned radical acceptance, John. Yeah. And it's something I need to practice. I think I've been thinking about this recently. I need to practice um, accepting people who are different to me more. Um, with more, uh, um, what's the word? Compassion, I guess. Um, yes. I get frustrated when people confuse me with different views. <laughs> there's there's <laughs> a there's a modern again. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but there's a modern conundrum about that, and you're experiencing it. The modern view, but it's not just recent, and it, 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 and I'm not going to get too deep into world politics because. That'll sound like a conspiracy theory, which it really isn't. But this goes back many years. But it's really developed. Um, I mean, it began with my generation and this idea of um, we're all on the verge of a new global consciousness. And that's been building for my 67 years. Recently, in the past four or five years, it's really accelerated where there's so much pressure to just be we're all one thing while we're. This one thing is pointing out these horrible differences that we have and that the misogynists and the racists and the, and the, the poverty inducers and all these other horrible creatures, the, the, um, the, the transphobics. All right, so we're insisting that we're all one mind while in that mind we're pointing out all our differences and we're making ourselves crazy over it because we're insisting to look at the differences and there's no difference. You cannot reconcile that. But as an individual now, we're going out into the world thinking, well, I'm just like everyone else. And I have to see that sameness in everyone. How do I do it? By clinging to everyone. And so we become fanatics about our associations, thinking that that's our reality. When it's, it's just the opposite. It's our associations that are blocking or, we're, or that we're utilizing to block our own ignorance. Let the another way of saying this is let go of all your associations and see which one actually brings what you want in your life. So I did that just as an example. Excuse me. When I got rid of drugs and alcohol, the first association I had to get rid of was all the people I hung out with in bars and in dope dens. And that in the beginning was the hardest thing I had to do, not because I wanted to use again, because these were human associations that I wanted to continue, even though the human associations would have led to my quick demise. Again, just as an example, I promise never to interrupt you again, Alex. I promise never to do it this time, and I likely will. Please continue. <laughs> uh, it, it, was, it wasn't an interruption. It was a continuation. Um, yeah, no, I, I, that, that's it, really. I've, I've had a realization from just talking on this call. I think uh, one thing I will share with you is that I'm this weekend, tomorrow, I'm going to a festival called Buddha Field, and there's going to be 
a lot of people there with different Buddhist views to yeah. each other, probably. Yeah. It's a Buddhist festival, and I'm going there to enjoy myself and spend time. Maybe that's why I'm bringing this up now, because I'm, it's on my mind that I'm going to be there, and I want to feel, you know, yeah, connect yeah. to see people. But this has helped me. Yeah, if I practice the Dharma, I will. I, I just have to practice yeah. radical acceptance. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm I'm so excited for what you just told me. I, excuse me. <coughs> yeah, yeah, I've never been before. I've heard about it. I wasn't I wasn't going to go, but I've decided to go now. So I'll be there all weekend. Excuse me. I think it's great, Alex. And what you're doing is very similar to what the original, how they lived their lives. They didn't live their lives isolated from the world. Every day they got up and they left that sangha and walked around in the world, met, met individuals with no practice and met all the other people that were practicing all their different forms of Buddhism and Jainism and Hinduism. And, and they interacted with them. And some of them, in fact, many of them eventually came to join the Buddhist Sangha simply because of that. And the, 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 um, they weren't going out evangelizing. They interacted with other people and they had conversations. And so you will likely do exactly the same. So that's not, that's not seeking argument or even seeking to associate your Dhamma practice with others. It's simply living, and I would say it's going to an environment that is likely to be at least peaceful and interesting for three days. You know, I mean, at least you know that. So, yeah, yeah, good yeah. for you. Yeah. If I you think, can, uh, remember to, to zoom in uh, with us on Saturday morning. Maybe somebody else will be interested. I thought about <laughs> it, actually. I did think about that. Yeah, again, um, not, as a, not as a way of evangelizing, but... Uh, again, it's actually going to be no... Well, no, no phone signal there at all. So. Yeah, okay, I just, just um, don't. I, I, I think it's a great idea. Um, one more comment. Do you think that, on some level, though, these, you know, back in the Buddha's time when they, when they associated with other faiths and traditions, do you think deep down there's a desire to want them to be the same as them, or are they like? Are they accepting that these people are are on a similar? Do they consider it a similar path? Someone's following Hinduism, for example. Do they believe that we're all going trying to get to the same thing? No, no, no. They, they were very clear that, uh, and the distinguishing. Uh, hold on a second. AC just kicked on. Oh. They were very clear, um, as we are today, that the significant difference between all of those other teachings um, was that they, they resolved in some magical, mystical, speculative, non-human existence, meaning it, there, there was always something outside of themselves that was working on them or something outside of themselves or the human ex experience that they were grasping after. So they did not associate their practice with any other practice but they didn't again they weren't against anything they just understood what worked for them the re the reason why they could do that alex excuse me and it's one of the reasons i bring this aspect of the dhamma up so often is because it is significantly important redundancy there 
the Buddha did not see himself as a savior, and so he didn't teach a salvific religion. He taught a way for, under, for human beings to understand what it is to be human, period. And how to, how, to, how to have that human experience each and every moment of our lives by not taking the human experience personal. Because it isn't. It's happening right now to 7 billion people. The world is happening to 7 billion people. Almost every one of the things that are happening to those 7 billion people, including us, has nothing to do with us and there's nothing we can do about that. And the things that we can have something to have a say in are not personal anyway. They're things that we have to do in the world. In other words, I need, it's my responsibility to provide for shelter. It's my responsibility to provide for clothing. It's my responsibility to provide for food. It's my responsibility to provide for for medicine. Those are the four things that Siddhartha taught every human being needs. Food, clothing, shelter, and medicine. Why did he teach that and not other things? Not like friends, even family, gold. No. These are the four basic needs. And why did he say that? Because look out at your life. Are those four things terribly difficult to have? No, they're not. I mean, we might have to go out and have a job. Well, the original Sangha member had their, members had their own job, go out into the world. So the point I'm making is there's nothing in the world that's personal. So why take it personal? And especially something that is rooted in a fabrication that can, simply cannot be proved or cannot be experienced by any human being. And by the way, No one has ever gone to some other experience and come back. No one, as far as we know. There's a lot of myth about it. Nobody has an explanation or an understanding that relates to what the Buddha taught. So there's another long answer. But again, I wanted to understand what it means to be a human being, and I figured that out. I had to abandon a constant need to find out what it means to be something other than I am. Meaning... What, what reward do I get by being one of you? you know, meaning, uh, and, uh, attaching myself to a particular belief system and their followers. So one more thing to say on that. Some of my best friends, you know how they used to say, oh, some of my best friends are so-and-so. Some of my, my best friends are, other, are practitioners of, of modern Buddhism. Doesn't, you know, it, it seemed like it, that, There, there is either no difference between me and them, the, meaning the energetic, or sometimes they look at me with a, a you know, a, a questioning view. But okay, yeah, that's not up to me. So, Alex, you, you, you um, uh, your right effort is 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 admirable, admirable, because you've been you've been doing an incredible job of balancing your um, understanding of your need for community while moving through that and recognizing that it is just taking that personally and becoming comfortable with being who you are in relation to friends and acquaintances that don't necessarily practice what you practice. So much so that you're willing to go, or not willing, you're you're eager to go to a Buddhist festival. If I was there, I'd be joining you. 
I would. Yeah. And you're you're fortunate. We don't really have those things. There's only two of those events that I know of in the entire United States, but they're so tightly organized by one group that it's it's just to promote that one that one particular organization. So you're really fortunate. I think it's a great idea to just you know meet other people with different Buddhist ideas and. Oh, I just lost for a second. Sorry, my internet's. Oh, it's okay. Well, I'm gonna. We're gonna end. We're gonna end quickly. Anyway, I got something I have to get to. Um, so, I, Alex, can you hear me? Uh, he may not be able to hear us, Dev. Uh, so again, we're gonna close up. But what do you have to say? Oh, uh, no, that's it. You're good. good. Oh, so I want to yeah. talk to you a little bit about your meditation before we get off. Um, you've heard me say over and over again, not, and I'm not saying that you should have listened to me, but you know how important it is to have two sessions. Um, and yeah. are you, uh, uh, it's best to have that first session as soon as you can. I know we've talked about this when you wake up. Yeah. And if, if you're getting more than hours into your day before that's the right time, try to make it sooner in your day. Start making it sooner in your day. And make that first session five minutes um, and just keep that five minutes structured. Use the, the tape, the recordings on the website. And then plan another one. Put it in your schedule or make write a schedule out about 12 hours from that point and do another five-minute session. Start making those sessions your practice, no matter what you get out of them or what you think you're getting out of them. Because at the very least, you're beginning to build that structure, which is so important. And again, that structure doesn't just happen. You have to do it. So start doing that and we can talk about that. Uh, But I I think within a week of you doing that, you're going to notice a noticeable difference in your concentration. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's a general um, like uh, establishing and maintaining a, a, a daily routine in general. Yeah, that is part of what it, what what I'm trying to address here. So that you know the meditation part is part of that. Yeah. So the way to do that is to do it. So write a little yeah. schedule out. This is when I'm going to meditate, and do it. And if you don't do it, send me a text saying you missed you missed this morning, you missed this evening. <laughs> really? I mean, again, I'm not going to you know I'm not going to beat you up over it, but. This is this is this is a, a foundational aspect of Dhamma practice. Yeah. Even though your practice has done you well and it has, this is the way to to deepen it and to and to keep it established. I would say. So, uh, Alex, again, thanks for joining us. I don't know if you caught the tail end of that, but let me ask you this: How is your meditation practice, and what does it look like? Um, yeah, it's interesting listening to you. No, I I do at least. I've got the structure down. I do at least 10 minutes a day, sometimes, often twice a day, but um, not always. But yeah, I've got a pretty good practice. Um, uh, I do feel a bit like a machine sometimes. That I just do it and don't really know, you know, I'm just doing it to do it. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I'm really concentrating my mind. I think I do it and then I'm, yeah, I think I'm very distracted from my meditation, especially if I'm going to work or something and my mind just keeps wandering to what I have to do in the day. Do you um, listen to the guided meditations from the website? I did. I have done, but I can't. I just don't feel like I can do that 
all the time. I'm, <laughs> no, no offense, but it's listening to your voice. No, I know. It, it, every now and then, it'd be a good idea to do it again because then you're just listening to the maybe you know plan on maybe twice a week or something like that because then you're um, listening to the guidance yeah. again. Yeah, I normally just listen to bells. I've got an app that does that, but you're right. Maybe every now and then that would help. Yeah. Yeah, just, again, because it'll just remind you of exactly what you're doing, and it's okay that your mind wanders as long as you remember to take a breath at some point. And yeah. again, it doesn't matter if you if that remembrance is five minutes in, because that's the point yeah. of deepening concentration. If you judge yourself for ah crap, you know what yeah. I'm not doing this wrong. You lost you, you you lost that whole opportunity for for um, practice because of eye making yeah. in the moment, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, I encourage you both to use the guided meditations because that's why they're there, and uh, and structure. That's such an important part of practice. That little bit of structure is uh, the foundation for Dhamma practice. So. Um, and just one more, and I don't mean to embarrass you, Alex, but just to say that again that you are such an example of right effort because you've used the Dhamma as intended to to recognize and work through things that simply don't work anymore for you. And again, if the Dhamma, or I said, you can't practice that anymore, you have to practice this, you would have been gone, wouldn't you? And rightly so. But to recognize, we're all involved, we're, we're involved in the world. So it might be that, yeah, this this part of the practice doesn't work with mine. And you might even say, well, having a job like this, whatever it might be, as an example, making bombs for somebody, that doesn't fit anymore. So I'm going to stop doing that. And I'm not saying that, <laughs> I realized the analogy wasn't great. Another Dhamma practice isn't like bomb making, but you just recognize this is, this is not something that suits me. You stop it. And it's not a condemnation on bomb makers because there's people in the Ukraine who would say, thank God for bombs, right? You know, because they, they can use that. Uh, there's always an argument. Let's stop arguing, practice the Dhamma, and leave the arguments to others. And again, Alex, you, you're doing that well. You, I don't think you've ever, ever, ever argued me with me about anything. And you've brought up a lot of important subjects, really. So, uh, and Dev the same way. You didn't have a lot of other things, but you question the Dhamma. The Buddha would say it. You question the Dhamma, but you didn't pester me with things not related to the Dhamma. Those are the Buddha's words, meaning, you know, bring it on, but I'm going to tell you when it's not Dhamma and when it is. So, Again, this little poem I think you see is so important because it's just this. This is a, the poem that I really rely on mostly. This is the one that taught me the importance of teaching the Dhamma and not arguing it. So... Uh, we'll finish with uh, Meta as we always do. Um, Thank you. And I'll, I'll talk to you both. And if you have anything else you both know, just send me an email and we'll uh, have a conversation. So I, I got to get to a, a call in a few minutes. The only reason I'm rushing. <laughs> so um, we'll finish with Meta. But again, this isn't, this Meta is also reflective of not arguing in the world and just being at peace with what's arising in the world. These are the Buddha's words on metta. So take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. And again, the Buddha's words on metta. 
This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state, let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you both for joining. Peace, my friends. Good to meet you. No, that's right, you guys. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.